you live your life like tomorrow matters? Perhaps you're already growing food, consuming less, connecting with your community. Perhaps you're already thinking hard, keen to see the world a little slower, greener, healthier. But where to begin? Here on the Future Studying Podcast, we dig deep into the hearts and minds of blissfully normal people doing bloody amazing things, unearthing their moments of contradiction, their hopes and fears for the future, and what galvanises them to action, in the name of inspiring all of us to do a little more in shaping a better future today. I'm Katie. And I'm Jade. And this is Future Studying. Hi there, Future Steaders, coming to you from a very chilly Stanley where I've spent all day in the paddock with my hands in a fire pit getting our, um, our shoshugi barn boards blackened. So that sounds like a very unromantic and unglamorous way to spend a day, but actually it was really beautiful. We were all down there with the kids and um, we're all filthy. But anyway, this is where I'm at right now chatting with you. So today we have got someone who I've... She's actually the sister of someone we've already spoken to, but I've only just worked that out. This heart-led mummer of three has been luring us with images of a dreamy, bloom-filled life on her Dalesford apple orchard and words of equal romance via her craft blog for over a decade. She laughs really easily and has found balance in being very real and makes the simplest of thoughts feel like genuine aha moments. We had quite a few in this chat. Kate Ullman is wrenchingly honest about the reality of farm life with young children, turning inwards when self-care is needed, and whether or not her babies will return to life on the land. Although I wasn't at her kitchen table, I would love to have been and wish that one day maybe I will be. The intimacy of this conversation feels very personal and leave your cup feeling full and your heart nourished. And so, do you know, I discovered you guys because what would it have been? It would have been Slow Mag years and years and years ago, just before the very first deep winter agrarian gathering in Dalesford on the coldest, most bitterly freezing winter day of all time. I spoke to Tammy Jonas and said, oh, are these guys here? And she said, no, they've gone away. And so I had read about you in Slow Mag and then it was just as we'd bought our farm and we have just spent the last six years planting out nearly 100 different varieties of apple, perry, chair, uh, apple cherry pear and yeah. a, a couple of kilometres of berries for pick your own. Wow. Well, see, I can say that to you and you can go, wow, but you also know the massive amount of work that it is. And yeah, <laughs> yes. And so I, that's why I was really keen to meet you because I thought I just need to get a bit of insight into the real truth of this dream. Is this dream going to kill us or is this dream going to be amazing? Yeah. So when was that, like 2015? Yeah, maybe 14, 15. Yeah, 15 is probably right. And I think you guys yeah. had just embarked on – Leaving the farm and going around Australia? Oh, no, no, that was earlier. That was like two, that was exactly 10 years ago this month, I think. So, no, I know that very well because I'm revisiting that whole thing. I'm redoing my book that I wrote about that trip. So, and that's what your project yes, is the mystery I'm project in, in the. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm back in caravan land, which is so bizarre because. I'm not. I'm in my farm where I haven't really left for a long time. But yeah, that's my that's the big project that's really occupying a big chunk of my brain at the moment. So yeah, that's interesting. I can't work out when that was. It was such bad timing for us. That was the very first deep winter and it was here and we weren't we were away. You weren't there, was, I know, and I was dying to meet you because I thought I just need someone to be really honest, especially someone that's got kids, and yeah. uh, I need someone to be really honest with me. I've got had at that point stars in my eyes about what a farming life would look like. I'd farmed all my life, but we were really biting off a much bigger project than we ever had, and we were intentionally staying relatively um, low hands-on in terms of numbers. Yep. of people we didn't want a big number of trees and we didn't want a big number of people that worked for us because we wanted it to be all family owned and you know all that beautiful stuff but could it be done without breaking you all while you've got small kids so it's that kind of stuff that um introduced <laughs> me to you in the first place well i don't know we can talk about that once while we were recording now but <laughs> yeah. oh look 
So I guess um, I will introduce you off air, but if if there's anything specifically that you want me to say um, when I pre-record that before we go live, let me know or I'll work it out as we chat anyway today. Okay, yep. You're a creator of amazing things, a mother of children, a lover of flowers, a grower of apples, a liver of really interesting interesting buildings and a beautiful human who has intrigued me for a really long time. Actually, one thing I haven't said there is that you're also a creator of incredibly beautiful knitted things. Well, that sounds amazing. I want to meet that person. (laughs) Uh, Me too. (laughs) When can we flip the kettle? (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? I guess it's the same thing when people come to your place and they look around, they're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And you look and think, oh, there is more than the weeds and the mud (laughs) and the (laughs) The piles of washing. Yeah, the other stuff happens here too. (laughs) That other people can see past and they yeah. see it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel a bit at the moment like that pile of washing. <laughs> Which means that you're loved and lived in. Yeah. <laughs> and you can tell an interesting story. Hopefully clean washing, not dirty. <laughs> oh, either way, I feel like washing yeah. is just a, it's either in, it's in one pile or the next within minutes yeah. anyway. So I so feel true. like it's all one of the same. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But you are, That's so right, lovely. you have created an incredibly interesting, and it piques my curiosity like nothing else, life. You know, even the buildings that you live in and the gardens that you have created and the beautiful pieces that you wear and that your girls wear, I just, you know, it really, really tickles my fancy and piques my interest. Have you always been a creative soul? I think so, yep. Yeah. I think that the like the visual, the beauty is what drives me and what inspires me sort of to move forward, to make and to, you know, really enjoy something. And if it, yeah, I feel like that's such an interesting um, realisation I had a few years ago that it's all very well having these projects and getting on with it every single day. But you know, there's, you have to love what you do and you have to really be, I mean, it comes from a place of privilege, but if you can feel inspired by the look of it and, you know, how it feels to you, then you're so much more likely to succeed and want to show up every day and put in the work. And I think really over time, over our 20 years here, that's been the hugest project for us is to take this block of land and these really ugly but you know sturdy buildings and to create something that we see as really beautiful in our eyes so yeah I think that I think so I think that I've always from my earliest memories been (laughs) sitting in my bedroom cutting and pasting or trying to cut up clothes and make them into different clothes and everything I think the answer that was a long way of answering yes no, it was a beautiful way of answering yes. Are your <laughs> girls the same? I feel like you can't be the person that you are where it just pours out of your very being without passing that desire on to the next generation. Yeah, I definitely think they all three are. And it's pretty insane to watch. It's just beautiful to see what inspires them and to sort of watch how they take how they've been brought up and springboard off that and use that to in their own lives to make their own lives beautiful or to write songs or, you know, to really live these incredible creative lives. I'm really inspired by them now in return. It's, yeah, pretty amazing to watch them. What a beautiful gift and a beautiful legacy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And you're now evolving with them but in a different way. And sorry, what did you say? You're now evolving with them but in a different way. Totally, absolutely, yeah. I find that really inspiring. I find like the older they get and the more confident in and, you know, they become the people they're going to be, they are really inspiring me to evolve. Absolutely. Beautiful. Mm. I talked about, in fact, it might have been our very first podcast with Sadie Crestman from Fat Pig Farm. We talked about place and um, 
how the place in which you have your childhood is possibly the place that you will be the most deeply and primarily connected to with a sort of in a visceral way that isn't necessarily open to just using words. They're hard to explain some of those deep place connections. And I know when we embarked on our farming journey with our kids, one of the things that I wanted it to give them was that deep sense of connection. And I wonder, your girls are now all off doing their own thing and becoming the people that they're going to be. I love that thing. Um, where, where do you think they will call home? Yeah, it's so, so interesting because Indy, our oldest, who's 20, the second she could leave home, she left home. Right? <laughs> the year she finished school, she was overseas for a year and now she lives in Melbourne and she's off and Jazzy's going to finish year 12 at the end of this year and she's given us notice. She's moving to Melbourne <laughs> to a share house the minute she can. But it's interesting because... A few years ago, we talked to them about we want to sell this place in the next 10 years and they were mortified. No way. That place has to be there forever. We have to we have to be allowed to come home and if we want to have children there or if we want to farm there, like that's our home. That's our, you know, the definition of our childhood and our identity and it all comes back to there. So, yeah, I feel like they all have this profound connection to here but in a way need to leave it to discover who they are and in a way to appreciate it and find their difference because they are country kids, because they did grow up on a farm, because they did, you know, have to collect eggs and do all these different things that city kids don't. And in a way, I feel like me and Bren did that backwards. Like we lived in Melbourne for the first um, 30 years of our lives and or you know around Melbourne and in a way I feel like we know this is home because we had that as well because we've experienced the world and we've experienced city life and we got to choose this so yeah it'll be interesting to see if any of them do come back here or do move to farms or do live in the country in some form but yeah all I can see at the moment is they rush to get out of here <laughs> but back going on yeah but going along with that, when I was quite young, like about five till when I was about seven, my family lived on a kibbutz in Israel, which is like a agricultural settlement that's very – back then they were really communal. So I lived in a children's house with my class and only saw my parents for about an hour a day at dinner time and every few weekends I got to stay back at their house and it was really farmy and it really that's like when I think of my childhood even though that was only two years of it I just love that and part of me feels like I was always going to live on a farm because I just that freedom and that sort of connection to nature and being able to have my own little chicken that I carried everywhere and yeah, so I feel like I get what you're saying. I have that, even though it was only two years. Like my children have that, you know, the bigger part of their lives. I totally get that, that that's, you know, a part of your soul and your definition of yourself and, you know, the, the start and end point. So time will tell. <laughs> and even though you didn't embark on the vision that you are now living until you were 30, you, did it feel like you were coming home? Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was really, we didn't know one single soul in Dalesford and we didn't know one single soul who had a farm, who grew anything. And I was really, I feel like me and Bren, not so much anymore, but for a long time, just sort of have these ideas and push forward with them and in retrospect think, what the hell? Why did we do that? <laughs> what were, we were thinking? Both, and I, seriously, how did we think we would be able to do that? What gave us, you know, permission? But, yes, oh, it's such an interesting thing because as soon as we got together, that was the first conversation we had is neither of us were happy in Melbourne. We both wanted to get out of Melbourne. We both wanted to live rurally. We both wanted to grow stuff. Like organic was our – growing stuff organically was sort of our religion, but we had no – experience in that and we just didn't I don't still don't know where that came from but 
it was all we'd ever known and that was the basis of our relationship in the beginning. So in a way it was always going to happen and we spent two years looking for this place. But I don't know, I don't think it felt like home. I think it felt like with a six-month-old baby, I think it was like, whoa, (laughs) what the hell have we done? (laughs) And what you bought and moved into isn't the, the beautiful scene that we see that you share with us all today. You've made it that. Yeah, so 10 years before, so we lived here for 10 years before social media and I think about that often, like they were the really gritty times where we used to call this house the copper art, copper art house. <laughs> it just was everywhere you looked. It was just <laughs> really, we spent a long time looking for somewhere beautiful to move into but we didn't have money so we really had to, decide you know what were our priorities and living in a beautiful house certainly wasn't one of them so slowly over the 20 years we've been here we've chipped away and fixed bits of it as we've been able to afford it but yeah the first 10 years I don't think I would have been able to take many Instagram photos (laughs) the raw truth I think that's why that's why I like pods because it's moving and we can actually drill down and, and get to the gritty bits, the truthful bits that haven't necessarily been curated like they are on a grid. And so yeah. with three small kids, well, actually you had one and then did you have the next two while you were there? Yes, yeah. And so they've never known a different home ever? No, no. And, it's, be- it and it's beautiful and it's evolved before their very eyes and they've never known it to be anything other than what you guys have created. Yeah, so it's in, it's so interesting that isn't it that that's yeah that's all they've ever known. But we've had such a different life to them, so we sort of expect that they know the Melbourne part and all this. But no, they've just lived here. No, so it's important that they go and do what they're doing now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And is it what you expected it to be? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I'm. A person who thinks too far in advance. I think that I think that when we decided to have a baby, we decided to have a baby. I can't imagine ever deciding to have a twenty-year-old, <laughs> that sort of thing. So, um, no, it's not. But I don't know that I had expectations. I mean, I th- I thought it would be beautiful. I thought there'd be way more time for sitting under a tree reading books and you know, taking picnics and running through the fields chased by butterflies, but <laughs> it's much more, much more work and there's so many disasters and so many amazing times. Yeah, I don't think that I really had expectations other than I really wanted to lead a meaningful life and I think for me a meaningful life is really li- living with the seasons and with nature and having those failures and those successes and sort of finding something that you love and chasing it and that. But you can't really know that ahead of time before you even have any expectations of what it means to live through a Dalesford winter, for example. Yeah, yeah, those (laughs) driving rains. Yeah. And what is it that you discovered that you loved that you perhaps didn't expect to love and that's given you meaning? I think just that real living with the seasons, that I'm, I struggle with the seasons. I don't like seasons. I'd like it to be sort of 25 degrees all year round and for us <laughs> to be able to grow to everything. <laughs> but um, I really feel that I love that. I love that there's a time for things. I love that you have to really appreciate the moment you're in because it won't last. I really love that sort of feeling that each season is a new chance and you hope that even if it completely was a disaster last year, even though you did the same thing for the last 20 years, this like this season, every year for the last 15 years, I've grown the same amount of tomato plants and had similar results and this year I just had a disaster Mm. so I didn't do anything different I saved my like it's the same seed the same watering the same everything but it was a disaster but I know next year will be hopefully next year it'll be better so I love that 
so much and that's something I've never really experienced before we moved here is that second chance every year's a new every season's a new chance and and that there's this beautiful period right in the guts of it I call it the deep chill where you have this um, opportunity to really turn inward and to reflect on the season that has been and to really think about what you might do differently and to really uh, think about the observations that you made and, and try and unpick what did or didn't work and just recover Recover from the physical yeah. work, recover from the mind buzz, recover from the, the busy social antics that were happening because that is what happens when the days are long and warm and really have this sort of hibernation period of deeply nourishing, inward-facing recovery. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I have this, like right before that happens, what you're talking about, every year I have this sort of crisis where I think what the hell am I doing I'm not a farmer like this is it's not farming being inside every day and working on other projects farming is being outside and being in the middle and harvesting (laughs) and everything (laughs) but it's too cold and too wet and nothing's growing and the wind and the rain are going sideways so I'm inside because of that and then following that I always have exactly what you're talking about that sort of like Oh, right. Okay. Well, this is what's happening and that's what didn't work and this is where I'd like to go differently. So it's a bit of a process for me every year of questioning absolutely everything and then moving through that onto the, okay, so this is where we have to go next season. Kate, you might be brilliant. I have exactly the same crisis every year and it's during a period that I call the turning And every year, you know, the turning because the leaves are turning and you're starting to move from being outward facing to being inward facing. But every year I go through the same crisis and my husband says, do you realise that you do this every year? And that (laughs) every year it actually works out and is okay. And that every year it's really important to acknowledge that there's been a change and that we're, and I just think it might be that shift, but I thought it was just me. I had this idea that I just have this crisis because I'm going into dark drab days and I hate dark drab days yeah but you're right I I think it's actually a natural part of the annual rhythm that seasonal pull yes I think so yeah and it's good for us probably I mean I know it is to have those sort of really questioning why am I doing this what's the point of this is this really what I thought it was going to be am I really you know living this life to the best of my ability and am I getting out of it what I need to get out and then it's like okay so what do I want to get out of this you know why where is it going this season how could I do it better so I think that's important because in my ideal world where you're just living in 25 degrees every day and everything grows beautifully and you never <laughs> no polytunnels required yes <laughs> yeah then you never ask those questions and you never change and you just do the same thing every day and who wants to live that world <laughs> Who does? And if you're outside farming every day, you would never be able to create or you'd never have time to create those beautiful pieces of knitted artwork that you seem to whip up. Now, is that something that you've always been able to do and always loved? No. I I mean, I've always made craft and I've always, you know, I studied art and visual art, fine art and, God, um, teaching at uni. Did I do back then? (laughs) Yeah, I've always loved art and craft and made absolutely everything that I could make. But I think when I started blogging, I started blogging as a craft blogger and I was so inspired by all these new crafts that I've never tried or never mastered that I quickly jumped on as many of them as I possibly could. And really I'd done knitting before. I knew how to do, I knew how to knit but I'd never knitted a garment, like I'd knitted squares or, you know, created bags out of patches or whatever. But, yeah, I've never had, a, you know, none of my grandmothers knitted and no relatives sat down with me and taught me. So yeah, it's relatively new. I'd say I'd only, I've only been knitting in earnest in the last, like, six or seven years. But I'm completely, well, I think I'm, comple- I'm completely obsessed with knitting when it's cold and then every year in summer I think oh 
I'm not a Nisha anymore. I don't identify as a Nisha anymore. I should give away all my wool to people who are going to knit it. And I don't, that's so interesting. It usually takes up all my thought space and now it's not taking up any. Like, who am I? I've moved on. And then see, you know, it starts getting colder and I start, you know, Googling fingerless glove patterns and deep winter warm socks and stuff so and neck gals do you know what that makes me think it makes me think there's a time and a place for everything and of course this is not new news but what it does make me think and people say to me often oh god when I read your Instagram or when I um, flick through your book I get this sense that you're living a life that is so vastly different to mind that I will never, ever, ever be able to master all of those skills. And often we have woofers come and stay with us and they say, I'm so overwhelmed and I'm so daunted by the skill base that you must have and your ability to apply that every single day of every single year. And of course, the response to that is slowly over time, you will build your skills if you earnestly focus on it and you want to. But of course, you can't do all of it all of the time because no one could. Absolutely yeah. no one. There's definitely times where, you know, we don't use our own toothpaste and we don't use our homemade. Um, in fact, I've had vinegar sitting in a jar with uh, needles, pine needles in it for about a year with the intention of turning that and replacing that, uh, replacing my store-bought surface cleaner with that and I just haven't got around to it. So, of course, we're only human and that you can't actually do all of the things all of the time. No. <laughs> Yeah, um, we're big. We talk all the time about balance, about you still have to enjoy your life, and you know those those little things are so they fill your soul when you can do them, and when you use these products that you've made yourself, you feel so good about them. But it's not worth killing yourself over. And there's going to be times where you're so flat out doing other things. Or you know that you just can't get to them, and you've just got to give yourself a break. I think that's how we live, and go to the shop and buy them. Like for example, this latest tomato season that was such a disaster. I've got enough tomatoes possibly to get me through most of this year from last year. I made too many, but if I have to go and buy some, I do. That's the way things work, and I'm not going to give myself a hard time about about that. Like I do everything I can. But I also have to, you know, not give myself a nervous breakdown over it. I have to really just be able to pace myself and not wear myself too thin because I've done that as well and that's just ragged. (laughs) That's not enjoyable for anyone if you're just trying to do everything and not giving yourself a break ever. Yeah, we talk about um, the earnest, the overwhelm of earnestness. in future steading and it's very easy to say oh yeah I've found my new religion and it's to be a bit purist and it's to be perfect and it's to solve the problems of the world and it's to create no waste and it's to make all grow my own food and preserve it all for winter and you know be homeschooling my children so that or at least participating in all of their out school outside of school activities it's actually not possible and it saps the joy from the experience of life And so how have you managed to find that balance? Well, I think it's a constant juggle. I look at the time when my kids were little, like when they were all sort of before Pepper was at school and the other two were pretty little as well. And I feel like at that time I was doing the most and I probably had the least amount of time. Like we were doing five farmer's markets a month and you know, cooking absolutely everything from scratch and making all our products and sewing all their clothes and, you know, I was completely involved in every aspect of their lives. And, yeah, it's so interesting. I don't know that I ever made a decision, I can't do this anymore. I don't remember it being actually, you know, a big discussion and a thought. I don't know what broke it, but slowly over time I've just you know, done more in other aspects and less in some, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. I guess just gradually over time I've felt that I can't do it. I don't know. I've felt more realistic about it. I don't know. I don't don't know the answer. It's a good question. I'm going to go and think about that for the whole weekend (laughs) now. It really interests me, but I don't 
No. I, I don't, yeah. I think it's lovely to hear you say I don't know because I think we have this idea and we hold these people up as the, the beacons of hope and knowledge and the people that have all the answers. But in truth, we're all just banging around trying to do yeah. our very best. And the future setting tagline is living like tomorrow matters. And I think as long as your intention of living like tomorrow matters is still the overarching driving force behind the decisions that you make and the actions that you take, you actually have the ability to live in a more balanced and more joyful way because especially when you've got the next generation coming through, we we know our best litmus test for us trying to do too much, even if that too much is homesteading too much stuff you know our kids will call us on it because they'll say we're stressed or we're not having good conversations or you snap at me all the time or you know they they directly mirror back to you your own behavior and so you start to see that something has tipped and there's no joy in this at all and our kids will never want to replicate this kind of life if as beautiful as it looks on social media it can't actually be enjoyed in the day-to-day totally yeah I have this it's so it's a bit embarrassing I shouldn't admit to this in public but Jazzy who is my 17 year old has this tiny clip on an old iPod of her wanting to show me a dance move that she'd just learned or, I don't know, just choreographed or something, and I was busy sewing her a soft toy at my sewing machine, and she's like, Mom, 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 look at me, and I'm like, no, I'm busy. I'm making this thing for you. (laughs) And it's so terrible, that heartbreak of that little kid. I don't know how old she was. And me making, being so serious and angry about, I've got to make this thing for you that she probably didn't even want. It's like my priorities now, you know, however long later, 10, 15 years later, I can see so obviously that it was backwards. I should have stopped everything to look at that beautiful little dance and looked at her and given her what she wanted. But I was so (laughs) that was so important to me focused yeah Yeah. it's so reassuring (laughs) it's given me goosebumps because I don't have that video but I could if my children had hit record at the right time possibly (laughs) nearly every day there would be a moment where I say I'm busy making food for our winter stores yes yes and often you know I'll sometimes say to them you eat it, you could at least help me, but I don't. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, uh, they, they don't want to help. And uh, the last thing they want to do is help because I bark it at them. Yeah, totally, absolutely, yep. Yes. <laughs> and nothing happens if you stop. Nothing happens. Like mm. when I wrote this book that I'm refreshing now in 2013, until then we'd baked everything. We didn't buy anything from the shop. And I remember Bren coming to me one day and said, the sourdough's got to go. I can't make bread anymore. I'm doing everything. You're writing this book. Like something's got to go and it's that. And us having this huge discussion about it, but we can't. We never have. What do we do about it? And him saying we're so lucky there's so many incredible bakers around here. We can access better bread than we even make. That's, you know, organic biodynamic flour and wood oven and this, you know, amazing process. And finally we decided, okay, we've got to do it. And we've never looked back. Like it's probably, I don't know, close to 10 years ago. And we buy bread. We still buy that most beautiful bread, but nothing happened to us. Like it's not as if we let that thing go and everything fell apart. Uh, You know, we're still the same people we were with the same ideology. We just let one thing go that we never took back, but it ended up being, I'm sure, so, you know, such a, time saver at that period of time where we needed that time more so that's been really and maybe in many ways it gave you the opportunity to connect more with those who were doing their best and becoming true artisans at a particular thing too there's so much value to be found in actually supporting those who are specializing in some of these older crafts and I know that everybody's now having a go at sourdough making but I'm a little bit the same I have a beautiful friend who I never ever see she's the bread maker in town and 
I took to making my own bread, which is the crappest bread of all time. And I talk about this on the pod quite a bit, but my bread making skills are useless and I continue to persist because I have this idea that it's a skill that I need to pass on to my children and to our woofers and you know (laughs) it allows me to know where the bread has come the flour has come from but actually what I should be doing is just supporting her (laughs) yeah Uh, well yeah (laughs) I I can't say that because I also love mastering a skill that you're you know you can't get you can't get you can't get and then one day you can get and that's such an incredible feeling so I don't know that could go either of two ways that story (laughs) (laughs) how do you connect with your community I know when your kids are little it's somewhat easier because they sort of push you out into the world but um, as they get older I certainly found that we're just cocooned at home and um, you know we spent 10 years of our life giving every spare moment that we had to committees and the foundation of co-ops and the creation of food policies and local food action plans and all of those sorts of things because we believed in it so strongly but just in the last couple of years my health has taken a tumble and my husband's focus has shifted to be earnestly on the farm and you know so we've said okay our community is still really important but as you say you can stop doing it all and it doesn't actually change who you are and what your ideology is Mm. but community is important so how do you engage with community yeah, that's such a that's a huge conversation in our house at the moment because now we're not in a primary school anymore. We're just really yeah, it's interesting. We're not like that used to be such a big thing, dropping your kids at school every morning and picking them up in the afternoon or at you know sport or drama class or circus class, sitting outside with the other mums. And now we don't, and our kids as well go to school in a different, like an hour away from here. So even if we were to do that, grab a coffee after the school drop-off, it's not in our town. Mm. So less and less. My community at the moment, to be honest, happens at the grocery store, like at the fruit and veg store. When I go, every single time I ever go there, I spend way more time because (laughs) that's where I meet people. Um. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. That's something we've really been talking about a lot, whether we have to like make put together book clubs or make an effort to go to the market or do something. But I'm finding myself being becoming less and less community-minded and less and less social as time goes on because there's almost always so much to do here and we are so inward-facing. Um, yeah, I don't... I don't. I haven't come up with that solution. We're constantly talking about it, and I know a lot of people are involved in different things in our town. But for some reason, we're not at the moment. We're like you. We spent years setting up different community groups and being on committees and finding land for the school and doing all that stuff. But at the moment we're not very community-minded at all and that sounds terrible and it probably is but I'd like to be <laughs> more. I think yeah. that comes back to there's a time and a place for everything isn't it and maybe yeah. you're well, you so. know, in a winter phase or a turning phase yeah. for where your energies need to be. Yeah maybe yeah it'd be interesting to see what comes of it yeah. And so you're writing a book? Yes. Well, sort of, it's such a weird place because I asked my publisher, am I allowed to talk about it? And she said, yeah, definitely mention that you've got another book coming out next January. And it's like, well, it's not another book, (laughs) it's the same. So I'm writing big chunks of extra um, content to go on top of it and shooting a whole lot of photo, more photos, but it's still that the same book it still has the same title as it did when it came out in 2013 so yeah I took on this project for the next project um which I don't know what it is but I really like I wrote a blog for 10 years and then I let it go because of the whole social media thing became a bit more sort of in intrusive to me like I didn't trust the people online as much as I always had with my personal story and with my family's story and I just felt like I had to take it back for a while especially because they're all teenagers now and I can't you know they don't always want to be in my photos and they don't 
want me to tell their stories and so much of who I am is a mother so it's hard to sort of take that those bits out but I feel that after two years of not writing a blog that's calling to me again that I need to write again and take photos and share and I don't know if that's in the form of a book it could be in the form of another book that's definitely something I'm thinking about like something much more personal or it could just be trying to find a way to write a blog that's about me and nothing to do with the girls I don't I haven't decided yet but definitely this project has you know awakened that side of me again and I'm really excited about that do you think, Kate, maybe it's a part of that shift from mother to maga where you need to, you no longer have little children that need you like they needed a mother in their early years and you're now moving into that next era of your life as a woman? Yes, I think so, 100%, yeah. And is that and exciting or daunting? Um, it ha- definitely goes through, it depends what day. <laughs> um, sometimes I'm really daunted by, by that fact. But I think also, yeah, I feel really excited. I feel really like I have been, like I've been a real, I've been the mother I've wanted to be with them as little kids. I've been really present and available and, you know, here with them, for them. And now I really feel like it's time for me again. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited that, um, yeah, I've got a, I've been a mother for 20 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't even know who I was before then. So that's really exciting to me to find that person again. Yes, yes, for sure. Whatever creative path that takes. And at the moment you think that will continue to be in central Victoria? Yeah, so we had, I mean, our place is really big and takes a lot of work to maintain and we're never like I know with all farming you never get to the bottom of your list but I feel like especially because we're not I was listening to Fiona's podcast of yours from last week talking about how she's got all these spreadsheets and apps for organization I'm actually the complete opposite of that person I am the most disorganized (laughs) person that they're chaotic (laughs) so I wake up and see something and think oh my god that's happening I better deal with that and I forget everything else that was meant to happen today (laughs) so I'm always chasing my tail and trying to work out oh yeah what was I going to do I feel like we had this plan to sell our farm because it's so much work and we're you know, getting older and it's too big for us and we'd like something, you know, I'd like five acres. I reckon I could do five acres really well rather than feeling like the whole time this is just overwhelming and too much for us. And so that's really thrown us a bit that the kids have all talked about, no, we have to stay here. And also COVID Mm. made us, like when the world was locked up last year and we had this big farm and we could walk for miles and miles and never see anyone and it just felt like freedom and it felt like protection from the world and really like we had this oasis so it felt yeah like such a blessing so yeah we go back and forth a lot um it's also changed a lot because for about 10 years it was a big farm like we had full-time employees and call rooms and trucks and constant deliveries and farmers markets and you know it was big and then I mean not big as in thousands of acres but it was a big little farm and then you know slowly over the last five or six years it's gotten smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller so now it's just me and Brent doing everything so now it feels like all the time, like how long can we do this for and what shortcuts can we take to make it easier for us and is it viable that we can live here forever? So, I mean, at the moment we're, yeah, we're definitely here for 10 years, but who knows after that. 
We'll say maybe one of the girls will surprise us and <laughs> take oh, an interest. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, come yeah, back with it's that. It's in their yeah. blood. Hopefully. I'm a little bit curious, and this might be um, something that everybody who's listening to the pod says, okay, Jad, that was a very personal question and that doesn't interest the rest of us, but it does interest me. You've said, talked about making the farm smaller so it moves the complex moving parts, but what it actually does is results in the two of you doing a whole lot more yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. There must be pros and cons with that. Yes. I f- yeah. Oh. <laughs> this is a whole podcast in itself. It really I mean, is. That's, this is the cup of tea we need to be having, actually. Yeah. I mean, the bigger it gets, it got, the less farming me and Bren did. It was like he was a manager and he had clean hands and he was on the phone the whole time chasing invoices or took food or deliveries or paying wages or superannuation or whatever like it got bigger and bigger and these um you know it's I don't know it's such a, it was such a complicated thing because we never moved here to be to have a business we moved here for a lifestyle but because organics was sort of in its infancy there was such a demand that as soon as we started selling things people like what else can you sell what else can you sell and you know we'll take anything and so we ran with that and didn't really question it and yeah just because what we were growing was beautiful and we were getting such good feedback we just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until yeah it just was sort of unsustainable it just didn't fit with us how we felt about the world and we didn't enjoy it anymore and it just became you know we we had a flood and a bushfire and locusts like we had all the 10 plagues millions of things went wrong and it yeah just really sort of started telling us this is not right when you know this is not what um you know not what we moved here for and not the way we want to lead our lives so then Little bit by little bit, we started, you know, cutting down from like 3,000 chickens till to a thousand, and we grew less stuff and we um, dropped some of our farmers markets. And so, little bit by little bit, it's been getting smaller and smaller. Yes, I don't know. I mean, it is, we're not, it's not recognizable. You can't compare the amount of work that we did in those times to the, with all that going on to the amount of work me and Bren do now. We're not nearly as much. I mean, not nearly, we work hard, but not nearly as hard as we did then and not nearly as much gets done. But sort of, I find a deeper sense of satisfaction in it now when we do a project and we really work hard together and watch it get done and it's not all about the bottom line anymore because we're not paying so many people and, you know, we don't have to look at a chicken in terms of how many weeks it lays for and how many grams of feed it has a day compared to how many how many eggs it'll lay a week. We can really just look at a chicken and think, how amazing is that? That doesn't give us an egg. Yeah. So... Yeah, just ethically and sort of sustainably, it just works so much better for us. But like I said, nothing, we don't even, I don't even have a to-do list, but Bren's one, you know, his is like seven pages long and it will never get even, you know. (laughs) He'll never get to the bottom of that. No, it's not even worth, yeah, hoping for. Which is sort of by intention. So you mentioned earlier that your girls have all started to take on their own adult personalities and that that gives you incredible, uh, an incredible sense of gratitude and enthusiasm for, you know, the inspiration that comes your way. Where do you think that might lead you? Um, I don't actually know how to answer that question. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I look at my mum and all her children, all four of us, have ended up leading incredibly creative lives. No one sits in an office all day and does what's – no one earns a normal wage or has superannuation probably. Um, And I think that she's sort of – yeah, she lives within that. She's an author. She's writing – always writing 
books and pieces and feels really sort of inspired and is very engaged and involved in all of us. I'm constantly sending her stuff to edit and, she, yeah, she's really interested. So I hope I can be that. I hope I can be the sounding board and the, yeah, the sort of encourager of creativity. <laughs> I don't know. What a job title. That is the best <laughs> job title of all, the encourager <laughs> of creativity. Yeah. We should all be striving for exactly that. Yeah. And it's interesting, one of my daughters, my middle daughter, play, writes music prolifically and plays music. And I don't have anything I can contribute to that. I don't write music. I don't even understand how a song is constructed. I could not find a harmony in a song for the life of me. But just that every time she sings a song and she comes out and plays it to me and explains where the inspiration came from and was it the mel- was it the music first or the words first and which line cut means what and it's just such a blessing in my life. It just fills me with so much joy and I'm so inspired by her, even though that's not something that I could ever accomplish. It's so inspiring to be around that process and for her to sort of share that little glimpse with me. It's amazing. Mm. Kate, do you have rituals? We ask this all the time and people often say, oh, I don't know about the word ritual, but I definitely have routines. I get the impression that you're such a creative thinker and uh, so inspired by the things that are around you that maybe you won't be so put off by the word ritual. But do you have things that pull you through the anim and pull you through your days that really act as exclamation marks for the life that you're leading? No. <laughs> I want to be that person that says, yes, I love that. But I think that because I'm so erratic in my life, because I'm sort of pulled from job to job, from inspiration to inspiration, I don't. And every now and then we'll put together something that feels so important and I think, you know, we're always going to do this, like every season or every, at the end of every week or whatever and then the next week will come and go and I will have forgotten about it. So, no, but I think about it often. <laughs> I, I have good intentions for things <laughs> never end up. I love it. I love rituals. I love, I love routines but I'm just not good at following through with them. I think I create new rituals and then they're gone in a few days because I forget about them. I love it. I really, <laughs> I really, I really love it. We have lots of people who uh, join us in our future studying community because they feel like there's a sense of solidarity in it and it's a slightly more conscious way of living where you know, simple is sacred and where localism is more than just buying your, your coffee in the local shop and where, you know, connecting with the seasons is more than just understanding that there's there's different times of year for different things. How do you build a sense of solidarity? Yeah, I don't know. I, think, I feel very incredibly lucky in that where we live the conversations I'm having with the people I bump into are conversations that I'm really interested in having. Like I feel like if, you know, I was saying before, you know, you go down the street into, you know, the fruit and veg shop or whatever, there is no bullshit. Like the first conversation you're having is about, you know, what sort of season you had or what's growing for you at the moment and have you planted your onions yet and, what a crazy season. And I feel like, yeah, there's just not a lot of bullshit. I don't have time for that, for a lot of sort of crappy conversations, but I also feel like most of the conversations I'm having, I just you just get straight down into the heart of it straight away, whether that be a conversation about, you know, how tricky parenting a teenager is and are you finding that or about, um, yeah, the season or about the age that I'm at and what's going on in my life. Um, I don't know whether that's physically or emotionally or as a parent, a wife, a mother, a daughter. Um, I feel like that's really important to me. I love 
the range of people I bump into and the conversations I'm having with them, that, you know, the diversity of input, but still about really important issues to me. Um, yeah, I feel like um, that, yeah, those, those conversations, that's what I would say, is, you know, being honest and asking those questions and being really open to the answers and walking away with a sense of, you know, having had a connection with someone that is important and not wasting time on stuff that doesn't matter so much. Superfluous bullshit. I feel like you've got this beautiful combination of being a creative, true creative spirit, being pretty spontaneous, but having a real depth to you and a real realness to you that yeah, some people can only dream of. With all of those things as your foundation, what does it mean to be successful? Mm, the question. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think for me success is about living your truth, like living a really honest, not living a way that you hope to, I mean not dreaming of a way you hope to live and constantly planning for the future but really trying to work out what your essence is, what drives you, what makes you happy, what do you love, you know, how can you make changes to be living in a way that, you know, you feel is really honest and you feel is authentic and connected to either a community or a place or your family but really, um, you know, fills you with something. Well, that's for me, I feel. I mean, again, it comes from a place of privilege but for me, you know, I can walk out in the morning and look around and think, you know, I feel really like I'm living my truth. I feel like I have in this place I work really hard for it to look a certain way, to grow a certain amount of products. I feel like I'm feeding myself creatively. I feel like I'm really available for my kids when they need me and for Bren. We have a really, we talk all day long. We just don't stop talking and I feel like that's really important. I feel like my success is really about probably connection to nature and the seasons and my people Mm. and being creative, always having something, I guess, a creative project. Mm. Mm. you've inspired me to start thinking more with my heart and less with my head which I am often inspired by especially the women on on the pod that we interview it has been a a, um, a challenge to get us both on the same page so that I can have this conversation with you but it's been so bloody lovely to actually finally yeah. chat with you and to hear your voice and to to hear what's true for you yeah, it has been. It's been so beautiful. I love that thing that you said at the end. That's really a way that I would sum up my life is really leading from the heart, not with my head. <laughs> mm. I love it. <laughs> and you do hear people awesome. say that they do, but I actually get a sense that they don't. I think people want to. And it's a real it's a real art to be able to do it. And I think people ache for it. I certainly do. But I am so pre-programmed to be functioning with my head first that I actually have to consciously and actively put my heart brain on rather than my head brain on I'm never that willing to be that vulnerable to let it go yeah that's so interesting yeah it does it does feel vulnerable but I guess that's a place that I've learned to come to terms if that's who I am like I don't I've got virtually no skin I'm just a person who lives my feelings and my creative urges and is very sort of protective and nurturing but also very sort of um sensitive and yeah it's risky and it doesn't go very well with business and it doesn't go very well with planning and (laughs) to-do lists but yeah I get somewhere in the end most nights there's something for dinner (laughs) (laughs) Dinner. Oh dear. At this time of year, dinner is always tricky for us because we try and grow our food. Sometimes yeah. I think, oh, I just need to go to the freezer and get something that's been pre prepared. I know. I wish Kate of, you know, 
four months ago had thought about painting on the whatever day it is today. I (laughs) know, thinking about your future self is such a gift to yourself, isn't it? Yes, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Well, on that note, I'm going to let you go and settle because you walked in the door from a busy morning. I couldn't delay you and then... um, We've managed to squirrel this in. I have to say, for someone who thought she was going to be a bit bedraggled and uh, inconsistent, you've done incredibly well. You've been beautiful to chat to. Oh, thank you. I feel like I'm going to listen back to this and think, shut up. (laughs) 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 Why are you crapping on about that for so long? Get to the point. (laughs) You're not. You're not at all. In fact, I have to say, you were in very good hands. The the Future Setting community seeks and... um, yearns for this type of conversation so you're in a safe community thank you